when I would see people say to some of these folks that, hey, your show helps me get through my day. The laughs that I have from listening to your show are the only laughs that I have in my life right now. That's that's powerful, man. Podcast Junkies, episode 191. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. A little bit of jazzy music playing in the background, something different. Because that's what I invite you to do as podcasters. Try out something new. I'm in Minneapolis. It's not snowing, miraculously. How was your week? I had some uh, hearts of palm for dinner today. Might be oversharing, but uh, every once in a while I like to have you get a peek into my world. What did you have for dinner today? If this is your first episode of Podcast Junkies, you're probably wondering what the heck I'm doing. Recording a podcast intro episode while allowing some music to seep in as background. Why not? It's my show, right? I invite you to do the same with yours. Invite people into your world, let them know what's going on, and every once in a while, you'll find them pleasantly surprised. Like I was last week, when I had a conversation with Brian McCullough, host of the Tech Meme Ride Home. If you haven't heard of Brian's show, it's uh, fascinating because it's a daily podcast, and he uh, has it go live every day at uh, 4 p.m., hence the name Ride Home. Similar to earlier guest of the show, uh, Erica Mandy with um, The Newsworthy. So I'm always fascinated at the effort that goes into shows like this. And uh, I really appreciate Brian for, for telling his story and sharing it on the show. This week, another friend of the show and friend of mine, Rich Jones of Paychecks and Balances. Rich is awesome. Uh, we connected several times at several podcasting conferences and I realized it was overdue to have him on the show. In this episode, we talk about how Rich came up with the Paychecks and Balances podcast, the importance of selecting the right person to be a co-host and how he met his, Marcus Garrett, the importance of having a mentor and a few that impacted Rich and his values. We tackle imposter syndrome and how Rich has built his network through podcasting. He talks about a podcast mastermind group that he's been a part of and that has actually has a member uh, in it that's been previously on Podcast Junkies. Rich actually grew up in Albany, New York, which I can relate to because I grew up in Yonkers. So we talk a little bit about that and the importance of values and goals. Uh, We actually share the fact that we both have been and continue to see a therapist, him a bit more than me, but... Um, that's another fascinating discussion. And then we talk about the importance uh, and the impact that podcasts can have on people and how that's affected his relationship with his family. So all in all, a fantastic and uh, fascinating discussion with my friend Rich, who I hope to see again very soon at a podcasting conference near me or you. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com 191. This episode is also brought to you by Focusrite. Focusrite, specifically the Scarlett 2i2, is my go-to piece of gear. It's something that I uh, actually travel with now all the time. I'm recording on it now. I've got the Shure SM7B piped into the Focusrite. Um, I love 
the portability of it. I love the clean sound, um, and it's the perfect complement to this microphone specifically. Um, as most people know, the SM7B is pretty gain hungry, so I like having the flexibility of having the mic here and uh, the monitoring that I can do and having the controls at hand, which is very handy when you have a guest that may be lower or, or higher than you. And I'm a big proponent of monitoring your own sound when you're recording. So all good things that the Focusrite allows. Hope to run into Dan at uh, the upcoming NAB conference again. And I recently uh, got to hang out with him a little bit. Dan Hewley from Focusrite um, got to hang out at PodFest in Orlando, which was a blast. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, enjoy the uh, jazzy background music for the next few seconds and my conversation with Rich Jones. Rich Jones, host of Paychecks and Balances. Thank you so much for showing up on Podcast Junkies. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. So many interesting ways that I meet podcasters, and we've crossed paths several times. And when you meet people in the space that have been doing it for around the same time, like you see them on stage or you see them give a talk, and you're just like, oh, I got to get them on the show. And then we're like, and we pass each other in the hallway. But then finally, like we had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time together. And I think it was in, was it in Vegas? For, yeah. Uh, yeah. NAB. Is it, yeah. NAB. Uh, Jared had invited us both to be on this panel for new podcasters. And it was it was great because we got to chat and uh, Eric Amandi was there and Allison Melody was there. So it was, it was a nice group of folks. It's funny because I literally sent Erica a question this morning about something. So super relevant, super timely. But do you actually remember the first time we met? Was it a, was it a podcast movement? On- yeah. So it was at Podcast Movement, but I actually saw you in an elevator and you had a bunch of podcast <laughs> right. junkie shirts in your hand. And I was like, can I get That's one of those right. shirts? So I, hopefully I gave you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. And I still wear it. It's still one of my go to shirts on the weekends. I mean, I don't wear it to work because then it always creates additional conversations that I don't necessarily want to have about podcasting where people want to tell me about all their favorite shows and get my thoughts, which I love doing. But what I'm trying to get to that next meeting, man, that shirt is a, is definitely a target. It's a distraction and it's a nice, nice, uh, non blindingly yellow color, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely stands out. I definitely don't see too many folks walking around in yellow shirts unless they're Golden State Warriors fans or Lakers fans. Yeah. it's. I always give credit to the idea I got from Michael O'Neill because he had done something similar the year before, 2013, when he went to, I think he went to NAB, and he did something similar. And uh, it's just been a staple, so I'm trying to replicate it. It gets a little pricey because I just pay for them out of pocket, <laughs> so I buy. And I used to buy like 20 shirts, and it was 50. Now I, I bought 100 last time, and they went quick. Yeah, and that almost inspired us to get shirts. And then we were looking at the cost, and we we're like, "Who's going to carry these?" And we put that idea in the back burner for now. So maybe this year at Podcast Movement, we'll have some branded paychecks and balances gear. The other thing that's interesting is I didn't really think about it, and I wish I could say I thought about this stuff ahead of time, but. It's enough. It's enough of a catchy name. So even though it's promoting the show, it also brands you as a podcast junkie. So and it's, and like you said, it's a conversation starter as well. So maybe for yourself, paychecks and balances, you can just you know Lipson does a pretty good job at this as well, like hashtag podcaster or something like that. So you can kind of have something that people would be proud to wear that would show like what they're for without actively saying paychecks and balances or, or like love my paycheck or something like that. You know. <laughs> 
Yeah, and those are the shirts where it gets tricky, where it's all about the branding of whoever's providing the T-shirts. And so even when I think about things that we could have on a shirt, I'm like, let's think of some quotes. Maybe let's think of some things that we always say on the podcast or jokes mm-hmm. that we always make, things that are related to the millennial generation. And maybe we do that instead as opposed to just having someone plaster paychecks and balances across their chest. So, yeah, Podcast Junkies is definitely definitely has that crossover appeal. You could do woke paycheck. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of different hashtags. We talk about being washed. And so if people aren't familiar with that, just this idea of getting older and not being able to do some of the things that you're used to or falling asleep early. So we're like, what if we put washed in a T-shirt? But then we're like, well, maybe people don't want to walk around and broadcast that they can't do some of the same things that we're used to. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of ideas. It's interesting because that's a phrase that only it's what I love about it is that it's sort of like inside. You have to be part of the crew to know it. And it's and if you don't get it. You know, it's, it's just like, it's some, some, there's some, something about like when you're part of a crew and you're proud that like people see it and they're just like, they don't get it, but then so they keep walking. But the people that do get it, they'd be like, oh yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. And that's part of what I think about it. And even with a quote or something like that, that could also be a conversation starter. Like, oh, what's that shirt mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, where'd you get that from? Mm-hmm. Oh, you need to check out this podcast. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. and But I also want to make sure that we're inclusive in a way as well. But there's nothing wrong with inside jokes from time to time. So let's rewind the clock back a bit. How many ideas had you gone through before you decided on paychecks and balances? Man, so it's crazy. So it's hard to give a short answer to this because previously we had a podcast called Two Guys, One Show, which which was supposed to be what paychecks and balances is today. But we also talked about relationships, pop culture and everything else. And we got to a point where we just said, man, everyone's saying we need to niche down. Let's let's niche down. And it was actually while I was driving, I had one of those moments where I was just thinking of all of these various ideas and paychecks and balances came to mind because I was thinking of something that would be catchy. It would kind of be a play on words. And when I came across that, it's probably the first time that I ever pulled off the road to write an idea down. And there were probably a few ideas that me and Marcus, my co-host exchanged via Slack, but I'd say when I came across that one, and it's like those ideas where you don't communicate them to anyone else, but you have them going on in your head. And so when I came across that one, I pulled over and I was like, that's it. That's got to be the brand going forward. It gets into the work side of things with paychecks, you know, given that I've been working in HR for over a decade and balances, given that Marcus got out of a huge chunk of debt and I've gotten out of debt as well. So it's kind of like I'm the paychecks of the show and Marcus is, and and Marcus is the balances, so it ends up making complete sense. And people have loved it ever since. We, we do get a lot of positive feedback about the name. It's interesting that you just heard a couple of things in there that I want to, uh, you were said you were on a Slack group. So this is this is already you were, you and Marcus were already partnering on something before. Like, why did you have a Slack group? Well, we created a Slack group specifically to have a work stream around the podcast. But Marcus and I, we go back to like 2010, man, before we even got into podcasting. So we started the first show in November 2013. But what a lot of people don't know is that we both used to write for a relationship blog. Mm. So I had a site that I ran that was all about the male perspective on dating and relationships. Marcus was one of the writers, brought him on board. He was super dependable, super witty. The audience loved him. And so when I thought about starting a podcast, I thought about the people that were most dependable, the people that I would jive well with. And I said, yo, bro, you want to start this podcast? And he was like, sure. So 
we've been working together for years, but we didn't really start using Slack until probably we were a year into the first podcast. And we've had varying people who've been on the team who've come in and out over time. And we've always used that as the one place to be able to communicate with each other throughout the week. And it's also a big part of how Marcus and I communicate with each other while we have a guest on the podcast. And we'll often have guests say, how do you guys do this? You're not in the same place. And it's like, oh, no, we're talking. You just can't see it. I love Slack. I mean, we use it for clients when we do shows. We have you, I've got, I'm looking at it now. I've probably got six or seven groups. They're not all active, but I think it's amazing what the, that technology has been around for years, but somehow they're able to perfect it in terms of like the user experience, in terms of like the functionality and, and how they make it fun. I, I just, it, it's top of mind for me because speaking of Eric Mandy tying this all back together, I was listening to the Newsworthy this morning and she one of the story items is Slack is getting ready to go public, which is like some, some crazy $7, million, $7 billion like uh, IPO. <laughs> It's crazy. Um, so yeah, so it's important. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk about the importance of selecting the right person as a co-host. Wow. So I think one thing that's important is values alignment and that we care about the same things. And there was a point with the relationship blog where I said, you know, I like talking about this, but I don't love talking about this. And if I'm going to be putting this much time into something, I need to love what I'm talking about. And I think this is where a lot of people often miss a major opportunity and it needs to be an experience that I'm thinking about every day. And so I knew that Marcus was feeling a very similar way. I knew that he was paying off debt. I knew that he was also thinking about things on the on the professional side of things. And so once we started talking about that, it was clear that we wanted to talk about similar topics. And a really big thing is that we both enjoy helping people and teaching people. And so we were aligned there. And so that values alignment is definitely key, but also understanding how somebody else works. You know, and, I, and he's someone who's pretty quick. Uh, he, he's very good about deadlines. He's very quick to respond whenever something is is needed of him. And so beyond just being good friends, because someone could be a, a great friend, and I think we probably all have people who are really good friends, but they're late to things. You know, if they say they need something from you, that it's going to be a while before you get it back. And with podcasting, there's really no space for that, especially when you're trying to establish a routine and you're trying to establish a schedule. And you get to a point where you have an audience who's really looking for you to release that episode at that same time every week or whatever your release cadence is. So there's the values alignment, there's how that person works in terms of how they get things done. And then there's also in terms of just how you communicate. Can you have free flowing conversations? What's the strengths of this other person? So, so for me, I am very good at the behind the scenes, operations, technical production side of things. Marcus is very good about pulling facts, stories, and interweaving jokes. And, and I tell some jokes as well. And so part of what we realized early on is that there are both areas where we have strengths and there are both areas where maybe there are weakness or there are areas that we don't care as much about overall. So part of what really worked for us was figuring out, hey, who's going to be the lead on the production? Who's going to be the lead maybe for anything that needs to go on the blog? Who's going to be in charge of putting together the show documents and show notes? And we actually go back and forth with who will be the main driver for each episode. So there are some conversations where maybe he has a better relationship with the guest. And so he'll be the person driving that relationship. Or there'll be other episodes where maybe I know the person better or, or I met them at a different conference. And since I have that previous relationship, I take lead and he'll go into a support role. 
So a lot of this is also the result of time. And we've definitely had some difficult conversations along the way about how things are done, but that trust was there. And we were on the same page initially, which made a lot of those difficult conversations that come, that came up later on, especially as we started to look more like a business, it made those conversations a lot easier. Yeah, it's so important. It's interesting that you gave some thought and you had a previous working relationship with him. And so it's just a reminder that if you are going to go into something that you think is going to be long-term like a podcast and you're thinking about who to select as a co-host, like think about whether you have or have not had tough conversations with that person previously because they're going to come. And, and especially if you, your show gets popular like yours, your, like yours has and you're going to be talking about business stuff. And if you can't be with a person that you can have those conversations with, I, I get the sense that you're going to run into problems down the road. Yeah. I mean, trust, it's just like with any other relationship you have. And I compare a lot of things to even working in corporate America and I'm sure Marcus would feel the same, but once that trust starts to break down and people don't like having difficult conversations. So what a lot of times will happen is that trust will start to break down. One person may be keeping it to themselves, but meanwhile, they're going back and telling their friends how this person is a pain and everything else, how they don't deliver on time. And they never have that conversation with each other. And it's something that's very subtle. People could be having beef and still get on a podcast and do an episode together, but it comes through sometimes in the way that someone may sound engaged on a particular episode, or even if not on an episode specifically, just the person's level of commitment and whether they want to go all in on that particular thing. So for example, if someone is starting a podcast and, and they really want to make that become a business or they want that to be a significant portion of their business, it's not something, and you know this, it's not something that you can just record, publish, and that's the end of it. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's all of the guest chasing. There's the managing the, the books and the, and the actual back-end finances. There's all of the operations. There's publishing the episode. There's promoting the episode. And so if you're not on the same page about that and you have one person who maybe feels that, you know, they they're the lead, they're the rock star of the group, or you have someone who feels like they're doing significantly more work, but they're not getting that benefit in return and they don't trust their partner to be able to have that conversation. That's going to ultimately lead to the breakdown. And, I, and I've seen that with other podcasts where they start out strong. And then after a few episodes, they fall off. And then what you eventually find out is that they had a falling out or a show will fall off for a bit and then they'll come back and coincidentally there's a new host who's part of that podcast as well. So getting used to having those conversations early on, and again, relating this to the corporate context, part of what we actually did, we actually created a document and came to an agreement on the key values for the podcast, who our target, who our target audience is, and kind of some general rules of engagement about being honest and how, we're, and how we'll interact with each other and how we approach getting work done. So for example, I'm somebody that's a, I tend to be a perfectionist about things. I hear stuff in audio and it's probably the same for you and other podcasters who are listening to this podcast where I'll hear things that 99% of the world won't care about, but that 1% is really important to me. And I'll haggle over a lot of stuff like that. Whereas Marcus is like, hey, sounds good to me. Let's get this published. And I'm like, nah, man, we can't put this out there. And there are areas where it works in reverse, where I'm saying, let's think about this and let's create a process document and all of this other stuff. And he's like, dude, we've been talking about this for two or three months now. Can we just get it done? Can we just get started instead of trying to plan for everything to be perfect? And again, that comes back to that trust and that relationship where we're at a point where we've been working together for so long 
And we've had so many conversations that it's easy enough for us to be able to vocalize that with each other. It's interesting because what I've heard already is a common thread. You talked about this idea of connecting with people whose values you align with. You're talking about this document, which is amazing, this this key values. And so it seems to be a common thread. So my my question is, where did this start for you? Like, where is where, where was the importance of values in your life? Like, who who instilled that in you, or, or where did you pick that up from? You know, it's something that I probably really started thinking about over the past few years. Uh, I previously had a mentor. His name is Paul Carrick Brunson. Uh, really big out there in the video space. He had a show that was backed by Oprah. And one thing that he always talked about was the importance of values alignment. And initially for him, he came from the relationship and dating space as well. So it was something that I thought about more specifically in terms of relationships. But I ended up extrapolating that and thinking about how I can apply that within podcasting specifically, uh, given that I'm working with someone else and at this point working with multiple people. And I've realized throughout life, And throughout my online journey, I've made a lot of pivots. I've started sites on different topics. I've had all sorts of various podcast ideas. And a lot of time, a lot of times those decisions weren't driven by what was truly important to me. It was driven by what I saw happening publicly and what looked like it was popular. And I'd say even with our first podcast, we wanted to talk specifically about personal finance and career advice, but we felt nobody would buy into that. So, so then we would need to talk about relationships and talk about pop culture, pop culture and tie in some of these other subjects that weren't core to what we were really passionate about. And yet we started to grow an audience along the way. But there was a drastic difference from when we had that show to when we really focused on what we're interested in, what we're most passionate about, and how quickly our audience started to grow from there. So for me, it's from the mistakes of having done several different things and and having some level of success, but still not feeling completely satisfied. And what I realized a lot of times is that it didn't align with my personal values and the things that are most important to me. So number one is freedom. And I think that comes through in the podcast in terms of what I talk about and even creative freedom to be able to have something that I own and that I have full control over and that I can determine the overall direction of. And also this idea of goals where before it was, okay, I think I want to be a blogger. I think I want to do YouTube. I think I want to do this, but not really understanding why I wanted to do that. And I think the values are really important as they relate to goals because I, I, so I have this idea of what I call emotional goals. And these are goals that when you imagine realizing them, you feel something. And so in our case, that might be the feeling of getting out of debt. And I can remember when I visualized that and thought about being in a place of financial freedom and how that would feel. And that ultimately helped me realize that goal. And that's also related to the value. So yes, there's getting out of debt. Yes, there's having more money in my bank account. But for me, it was more about that primary goal of freedom where I don't feel that, or I know for a fact that when the first comes around, I'm not having to pay all of this interest on credit cards and and everything else and the feeling that that provides for me. And so I think about it a lot more now, and it's really helped me kind of narrow in, in terms of where I really want this to go. And ultimately the future that I want for myself inside and outside of podcasting. You mentioned Paul Carrick Brunson as a mentor, and this is something I, I like to ask folks as well. Is is, is there uh, is that someone that's been a, a key mentor for you? And is there anyone else that has that has played that role? And if so, can you tell about 
the importance of, of having a mentor and what that does for you? Yeah, so I haven't had too many formal mentors. And it's weird for me because there's what I do by day in corporate America. So I'm a staffing manager at Google. And then there's what I do by night, which is all, all of these various things via online media. And I've had more by way of peer groups. Uh, I, we talked a little bit before the show about the importance of, of masterminds. So I've had peers that I've been able to go to about various things where I'm questioning or doubting myself or looking for, looking for perspective and need somebody who's on the outside to maybe help me realize blind spots. But as far as what I would call someone that I've had as a formal mentor and someone that I've come to multiple times over the years, Paul has been that, that go-to person. And I haven't talked to him as much probably over the past year or two. But I have continued to follow his journey, and, and he is someone who I continue to get inspiration from. And it's it's interesting with him because there was a point where we were essentially peers. Uh, I was in the blogging space. He was coming up with YouTube before YouTube was was really hot. You know, and, and as I mentioned, he was doing uh, kind of matchmaking and more relationship advice. And I remember that there was a point where he came to me looking for ideas and trying to figure out how to grow his own thing. And we look all these years forward, essentially almost a, a decade forward and looking at, at where he is and you know, kind of seeing where I am. And this isn't about getting into the comparison game, but just being realistic about what are the differences in the journeys. And one of the biggest things that I've learned from him is the importance of consistency. Hmm. Uh, and so he hasn't gone and done 20 million different things. And he's had pivots over the years, but he stayed consistent. And even for other people who are in the same peer group. And so when I say peer group, I'm talking about folks who got into blogging or who got into online media around 2008. The one common thread between those folks who have had tremendous success and, and we've had success as well. But those folks who have really realized their vision and realized their dreams and achieved their goals is that they've stayed consistent and it's taken years for those things to pay off. And so while I haven't had a lot by way of formal mentors, I do believe actions speak louder than words. And I do learn a lot just from observing people on the periphery. And what must be happening over time as your show gets more popular is people now start coming to you and they start looking to guidance from you. And, and I'm wondering if that's start to happen already. Yeah, it has. And it's weird, man. And because it's it boils down to imposter syndrome. And, and we hear about this all of the time. Mm. And so for me, when it comes to podcasting, someone asked me once, what's something you could give a 45 minute presentation on with no preparation? I'm like, how to start and grow a podcast, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how to market a podcast. And those are all things that come really natural to me. But when sometimes when people come to me with questions, I start saying, well, oh, I'm not at the level with this person or, oh, I haven't had this particular amount of success. And sometimes forgetting that I have five years of experience in this area and that there are a lot of things that come naturally to me that won't come so natural to someone else who may not be technologically savvy or maybe they come from a completely different field or lane and this is something that's completely new to them. So when it comes to the podcast side of things, I'd say it's probably a little bit easier even though that imposter syndrome still sometimes gets into the way and it's always and it's and it's still weird even though I've been doing this for years and I go to a conference and I meet people and they're super excited and they're asking me questions. And I'm just like, hey, I'm a regular dude, just like you. <laughs> I go to my job. I happen to do this podcast thing. And it's actually sometimes a little bit uncomfortable to have someone be so excited to meet you from just listening to your words on a on a on a weekly basis in the case of our podcast. 
And then even more specifically with personal finance, the idea of someone coming to me for money advice. And, and yeah, there are a lot of things that I figured out and I never purport to be an expert on personal finance. I never purport to have all the answers, but I do have my experiences and I do have the stories and I do have the lessons that I've learned, but I still occasionally get this little bit of angst because if someone's coming to me about their, like they're coming to me about their money, they're coming to me about what's the next financial decision that they should make in their life. And there's a lot of power in that. And there's also a lot of opportunity within that to put somebody on a path to where things don't ultimately work out. And so it's a balancing act, I'd say, you know, when someone comes as a fan of the podcast and they want to talk podcasting, yeah, I can happily talk about it and go on and on. But then when it comes to more of the money stuff, I am a bit more discerning in terms of what I tell people. And I'm very upfront in terms of if I don't have the answer, I'm going to tell you I don't have the answer versus trying to just talk my way through it. And I'll happily find who's the best person to speak to them about that particular issue. But it's hard, man. It's it's exciting to have people who trust and believe in you who you've never seen and you've never met, but they're following you and, and listening to your voice every week, man. The other thing that's interesting in this space, specifically with personal finances, is podcasting is already its niche, but then personal finance, podcasting, and blogging is now its own industry, like FinCon, right? Is It's a whole other conference. So I'm wondering now, as you've gotten further into the, that niche of like the, the, the Venn diagram of the podcasting and the, fi- and the personal finance, you've now met this whole other world of folks that do this as well. Yeah, I have. And I actually found out about FinCon while at Podcast Movement. I had bumped into someone on the elevator and I, I forget how we got into a conversation and they told me that there was a FinCon meetup happening somewhere outside of the conference. I ended up going to that, had a great time and then found myself at the FinCon conference later that year, which was also, and so this was, I want to say 2016. And so I would mentioned that Marcus and I had been working together since probably 2010. FinCon 2016 was the first time that we ever met in person. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So six years working together, having this great on-air chemistry, and it took a conference for us to ultimately get, get together for the first time. But yeah, I seeing seeing the difference in the worlds. And at, at this point, there's a lot of overlap. I see so many people at Podcast Movement who are also at FinCon and vice versa. And I think for myself, it's it's interesting because I'm I'm podcasting about personal finance and professional development, but I could also be podcasting on a range of other topics. And sometimes people ask, you know, why personal finance? And and I talk about the importance of it in my life and, and the challenges that I've had with managing money and the lessons that I've learned along the way. But at the core of it all, I really love podcasting. I love the, the intimacy of the medium. Uh, I love the the production aspect of things, even though we have offloaded production to to an external producer. And I love all of these relationships that I've been able to build where you know I can go to podcast or where I can go to podcast movement or I can go to FinCon now. And regardless of which conference I'm at, I'm going to see people from one space, the other space or from both spaces. So I'm definitely feeling that that Venn diagram effect. The other thing that's interesting is when you start to go into this world, you you create a whole new group of friends that you never had before. And, you know, for people, um, you know, they, they've got, built a lot of their friendships in, in high school and college and even in their, their corporate jobs, which I did as well. But then I discovered this whole new family. 
And so I'm, I'm sure that's happened for you and you've started to build relationships with people that you didn't know existed, you know, to your point, like three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah. And so, for example, I ended up in a mastermind group with uh, a longtime friend and then a couple of other folks uh, from the podcast movement community. So we talked about uh, Stephen Hart, who mm -hmm. you had on a recent episode of the show. And honestly, man, a lot of the growth that we've experienced is a result of going to these conferences and making these connections. And so, for example, we've had our show featured on the homepage of Apple Podcast. We've had category features. And I don't know if some of this happens, if we don't go to these conferences, we don't meet these people. And a lot of times with these curated lists on these various websites, on these various platforms, they're going to someone else and saying, hey, who do you know who would be good for this? And we've lucked out in one that we have a high quality show, but two in that we've made a lot of these relationships and connections so that when we're trying to figure out who's the right person to work with or who's the right person to contact about a particular feature, that's probably a little bit easier for us than it is for some other people. And even in terms of a lot of the guests that we've had on the podcast, I'd say probably 75 to 80 percent of the guests that we've had on Paychecks and Balances are from the podcast movement or FinCon community. It might even be more than that. Hmm. And then I think about some of the larger shows that we've been on. For example, we were just on uh, Bigger Pockets Money hmm. in January. And that I don't think that that comes about if Mindy Jensen, who's one of the co-hosts for that podcast, doesn't come to our talk at Podcast Movement and hear us talking about the story of Paychecks and Balances. So yes, I think that we would have still grown and we would still be considered successful in our own right. But I don't know that it would have happened the way that it has so far and the way that it's continuing to go, even in terms of speaking opportunities. Like, are we are we meeting in Vegas at NAB if I'm not in the podcast community and I haven't met Jared and I haven't showed myself to be someone who's dependable and reliable about this space? So it's it's super important, man. Who from your immediate family is the most surprised at where you've ended up with this venture? <laughs> I don't think anyone from my immediate family understands exactly what I do. <laughs> like, and so it's, it's funny because when I went home for, for Christmas, so I, I make one trip home per, per year. So I'm based in uh, California. I'm in Mountain View in the mm -hmm. Bay Area. All my family's in Albany, New York. And so that flying back and forth adds up pretty quick. So I make one extended trip for Christmas. I'm probably going to make a second trip this year. But there's always a point at dinner because people it, it's interesting, man. It's like people are at home. They're they're fascinated by what I do, like one by day when they where they hear where I work and then I'm managing a team. Uh, I'd say a lot of my family members are, are very much blue collar mm -hmm. and, and into the trade. So them hearing about my professional experience is a completely different world for them. But then me trying to talk about podcasting and trying to show someone the, the purple podcast app on their phone. And having to be like, oh, that's what that thing is. It's been there all these years. It's <laughs> it's it's still very new to them. And yeah. so I don't even when I'm talking to family at the table and, and they're asking about what else I'm doing, I say I have an online radio show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I say, you know, I record it from my computer or as my mom calls it, my machine. Uh, I record it from my machine. I talk to people who are in other places from my machine and re-release it just like a radio show, something that you would listen to if, if you turned on a radio at, at any point in time throughout the day. So they don't it's I, I think they get it at a basic level because I say radio show and I'm like online. So they're like it's something that happens on the computer and it's like radio. But I don't think they fully understand the extent of what that means as a podcaster. And 
they don't really know that I'm going and speaking at conferences. They don't mm. understand that, you know, I, I have a show that that's consistently ranked on various platforms. They don't know that I'm getting some of this media coverage because it's interesting. Like they live a different life in that where I'm very connected to what's happening online and I'm very connected to technology. They're very simple about those things. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but you know, they're, they're watching TV, they're going about their lives, or I might reference an app or a service to, to my cousin who's only three or four years older than I am. And he's like, nah, I never heard of that before. And I'm like, really? And so it's, it's, it's interesting because you know, I live in Silicon Valley, which is the the hub for technology. And yeah. I think of this very much as a bubble. But then to go home and to have conversations that are that feel much more analog. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's always a reminder that I'm operating in a space that isn't the norm for everybody. And it also reminds me how much opportunity that there still is to get podcasting out there. You know, because we haven't fully cracked this in terms of everybody understanding what a podcast is and, and how to access podcasts. And I have family members who, who don't have cell phones still, <laughs> you know, and, you know, like my mom just learned. I just showed my mom how to send text messages probably a year ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and she's 70. Wow, this is bad. I'm trying to think she's 72 now. And so she just learned how to send text messages. And granted, when the text messages come through, there's caps where there shouldn't be caps and there's spaces <laughs> missing and everything else. But but that just goes to show that for a lot of us who are in the millennial generation, for a lot of us who are connected to tech, that's not the experience for, for everyone else. And it doesn't mean that someone has to be living in a rural area. I mean, Albany is a city. I don't think it's the greatest city in the world, mm -hmm. but uh, Albany is very much a city. And I come from a city and I come from people, uh, a family where people are, are doing well for themselves, but they exist like almost in a, in a completely different world than, than we do as people who are in the tech space. What was life growing up in Albany like? Man, looking back, it was pretty boring, but at the time it was, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it was, it, it was interesting for me, man. And, and, I, and it, it's, it's almost a, a whole different conversation. And then I think of the experience that I had growing up versus where I am today. So went to a public elementary school mm -hmm. and I was in one of those weird spots where I wasn't wealthy. I wasn't poor, but I lived adjacent to projects where there were people who were who were who were definitely struggling and coming from difficult situations. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to come from a, a, a two parent home. And so there was kind of this weirdness where I was one of them. And by that, a lot of the neighborhood was 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 African-American. You know, I'd say that, that there was some, some diversity in the overall mix of the neighborhood. But most of the folks who went to my school were African-American. And so there was always this like weird. Do I fit in? Do I not fit in? That mm -hmm. kind of happened. And, you know, and even things like, oh, the way that you talk, you speak proper. You know, you you, you sound like you, you talk like a white person and like, mm. well, what does that mean? Mm. And. It, it's almost like the, the struggle of identity within a group that you think should identify with you, but yeah. then not everybody within that group does. But then you're interacting with other groups and they don't necessarily identify with you either. Mm. And so you kind of find yourself in this like weird spot where it's like, where exactly do I fit? And so in some ways I, I did struggle with identity and I did try to be a, a chameleon growing up and kind of adapting to whatever circle of friends or whatever group that I was that I was trying to fit into. Uh, middle school, went to a Catholic middle school, first experience wearing a uniform, but very similar thing. Uh, primarily, it was a it was a, a good mix, but uh, a number of African-American students there as well. And I think I started to 
to find myself a little bit more. And man, I was a I was a bad kid. Like I was the person <laughs> who would break windows. I was the person wow. who it's man. Yeah, I was bad. I was the person who when the teacher turned around to write on the white, uh, well, I say whiteboard, but back then it was actually chalkboard. Yeah, yeah. When, when the teacher turned around to write on the chalkboard, I'd be standing up on my chair. I'd be making sound effects. <laughs> but the good thing was is that I was also a really good student. And so while I was bad, I was also the person getting A's in classes. Mm. And so uh, what, what a lot of people don't know is that I actually got expelled from my middle school just before graduation. Oh my God. For, for acting up in class, which which ultimately cost me a, a scholarship to go to a popular private high school in the area. Wow. But what ended up happening as a result is I ended up going to another high school, Christian Brothers Academy, all boys high school, uh, now based in Colony, Colony, New York. And I think that level of discipline, and I say discipline because it was a military high school, so I wore a military uniform to school every day. Hmm. Uh, it, it wasn't a boarding school. You know, I went home on a school bus every day. And I still acted up, but I noticed just over the years, the the amount of, I'd say, energy that the various teachers and faculty put into me and the amount of confidence that I think they helped build as well as the discipline is what set me on the path to where I am today. So me getting expelled from middle school and me not getting that scholarship to the other private high school, I ultimately think that was the best possible thing that could have happened to me. Because if I don't end up going to this other high school and get out of my comfort zone, then I would have ended up at the other private school. And, and there's nothing wrong with that other school, but it would have been a lot of the people that I had been interacting with already. And I would have been really in a comfort zone and I probably would have been a lot more distracted because I still hung out with some of those people outside of school. Mm -hmm. But when I look at the paths that a lot of those folks went down, it's a very different path from where I am today. Um, and, you know, I think if, I don't go to this private military high school, there's a good chance I don't end up going to Cornell University for college. Mm. And then there's a good chance that maybe, and so here's the thing, I, I do think one way or another, I'd be successful, but I don't know that it would look the way that it looks today. And so, you know, then maybe I don't get that first job out of school that gives me the set of experience that tells me that I want to do something else. Or maybe I don't start developing some of these other skills that, that allow me to be able to do things like podcasting and blogging and website operations and personal branding. So while I've had some unfortunate things that, that have happened in terms of my experience growing up, I also think that some of those things are what put me in a position to be where I am today. Even even not having a lot of conversations about money growing up. I saw my parents pay bills on time. I also knew that they carried credit card balances. And so to me, that was something that I did when I got out of school. I was one of those people who got a who who would go to the student loan office and get a refund check just to have money to spend, not knowing that that was money that I would have to pay off late, later on after mm -hmm. graduation. Mm -hmm. And those are all things that have become part of the story. You know, those are the things that I talk about in the podcast. And those are the things that I talk about when I'm just having conversations with people. Now, I don't think as much about when I got expelled. That just came to mind as I was kind of recounting the experience growing up. And, you know, I'm not going to say that it was all struggle every day. I made friends. And, and even though I may have had that struggle where, like, do I fit in? Do I not fit in? And I experienced some of that in college. I think the the one thing that came through is that there were a lot of people who looked at me as a leader and a lot of people who saw my potential and who could imagine some of the various things that that I could that I could potentially do in life whether that's in the professional field 
or whether that's, you know, in podcasting or blogging. I mean, I had people tell me like, dude, you always come up with these funny AOL instant messenger. You remember that? You remember AIM? <laughs> <laughs> Dating yourself with that one. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I'd have people tell me you, you would always come up with these funny and witty away messages. I was just waiting for you to become a writer. I was waiting for you to start doing commentary. So it's been a crazy journey, but ultimately it's worked out and there's still a long way to go. I realized that was a whole long-winded answer, but I started getting fired up there. No, it's interesting because when you, I mean, I think it, it resonates for people when you talk about a time and a place that is like your childhood or you're growing up, like sometimes you just have to like put someone in that position or there's something that happens. Like if you smell something from your childhood, like a, like a food or something like that. I remember someone asking a question like, what's the earliest smell you can remember, right? And I was like, I don't know, like a Crayola crayon or something like that. Man, you just gave, you just brought back a somewhat painful but funny memory. So for me, and this wasn't childhood, this was in high school. And I mean, I'm, I'm an adult now, no one's coming for me. But <laughs> the smell of gin. Gin? Gin. Because I went to a high school party, got drunk. I had drank a lot of gin. And for years, even to this day, when I smell gin, I'm like, first I'm like, ugh, it reminds me of the smell of grass. And then my immediately, my immediate next thought is that experience that I had in high school and like how terrible that was with like throwing up and everything else and people being like, dude, what are you doing? Mm. And so, I mean, that's, that's probably not the, the earliest smell that, uh, that, that I can think of. Actually, I would probably have to think about that, but that's one that's from my, my formative years that when I smell gin, I'm like, oh man, what was I doing back? I mean, and I was probably doing things that a lot of high school kids did, but man, what a bad night that was. I remember like actually going home that night and instead of using my key to try to open the door and sneak in, I was using a penny from my pocket. (laughs) (laughs) And and I I probably spent like 10 minutes doing this. Like, man. Oh my God. The power of smells. It's it's like a time machine. It totally transports you instantly to that moment. And every and what's interesting about it is like the feeling that what you felt in that moment, you like start feeling it like in your body now in the present moment. It's just so powerful. It's crazy how that happens. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure there's there's probably sounds, there's jingles, there's yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's probably other things. Oh yeah. Uh f- fragrances, commercials, commercials, commercials yeah. on TV. Yeah, little subtle things, a hat or a shirt someone is wearing, yep. uh, or somebody will say something. One thing, and it's 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 not so much as an early memory, but a lot of times somebody will say will start will say a few words, and they won't be singing a song, but they'll say like two or three words in a casual conversation, and that immediately to me connects to a song. And then I'll finish the sentence, or I'll start going in yeah. the song lyrics, and it's like, how are you turning everything I say into a song? <laughs> And it's just for me, like, like there are certain words that, that trigger like these things from my past, you know, the, these songs growing up, these, these experiences that I had growing up, you know? It's, it's interesting because I grew up DJing, so I would play, I mean, I grew up like spending like old school hip hop. So when the song comes on in a bar, I literally start singing the lyrics for like, you know, here we go, like scenario from Tribe Called Quest, <laughs> like the whole, like literally every single word. And people are just like, why do you know like that? And I'm like, cause I, First of all, I probably spun it like hundreds of times, <laughs> but it's part of me growing up and just like when it would come on, we would all like sing the words and stuff like that. So just stuff like that happens all the time. 
Yeah, even even just like silly silly jokes. Some of them probably not appropriate for this show, but just like commercials and things that I'll like randomly say at work, and it's like, why'd you say that? And it's like, well, someone said something that reminded me of this commercial that I saw 15, 20 years ago, and it's it's just as fresh, yeah. you know. And of course, most times because I do work with a lot of people who are younger than me, most times they're like, we have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. But but we're glad you find that so funny and that it's made you light up the way that it did. And I can relate to your your formative years growing up because I grew up in Yonkers, New York. So, you know, I was definitely a New Yorker as well and went to Catholic school, first and second grade, then public school, third to eighth, and then back to all boys Catholic high school for high school as well. And uh, yes, yeah, so it's just interesting that idea of like being in different groups and finding out where you belong. And, you know, I was, as you, I went to school in high school in White Plains, New York. So I was like a lot of I first discovered the idea of like what a preppy was and that was like this whole new world of people that I, I, I couldn't relate to. And there was like a, a core group of like, um, like Latinos and African-Americans and we just like all like huddled together and we were just like, cause we were like the 10% of like the whole high school and we were just like trying to form our own crew or something, you know, whatever we could do. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. And you know, on a, on a more serious note though, I also think about now, I had a lot of great experiences growing up. I came, like as I mentioned, I was privileged enough to come from a loving household. Mm -hmm. But there are also some of those things that that happen when you're growing up that you don't think about them consciously, but they've subconsciously impacted you or subconsciously left their mark. And so I think about the way that I pursue success. And people will tell like people will tell you that I'm I'm super ambitious. I mentioned earlier being a perfectionist. And yeah, I started going to a, a therapist, which is a whole other conversation in the past couple of years here. Hmm. And through having those conversations, I'm realizing how some things that I do today for better or worse are tied to little things that happened when growing up, little things that didn't seem like they were a huge deal or maybe they were a huge deal in the moment. And I, and I kind of trivialize them now. But even that experience of, of trying to fit in and feeling rejected mm. and so how now with everything that i do i want to be the absolute best at it and i want to show that like i'm worth it and that what i'm doing is worth it even though i know that i have these values and goals i sometimes have to remind myself and i think that's part of why tying it back i think that's part of why values and goals have been have been so important because I mentioned the experience of of trying to fit in, but then I also mentioned the experience of starting all of these different online projects because of what other people are doing. This person now has 10,000 followers. This person just got an ad deal. Despite the fact that I was doing well with whatever it was that I was working on at the time, I still had this feeling that like I wasn't part of the in-group. And it's really been these past few years, and I'd say a lot of a lot of this a lot of what's been helpful is discovering the FinCon and podcast movement communities because I feel like I found my tribe. I found my people, regardless of what background they come from. I feel like I found people that understand who I am, have come from different backgrounds, but ultimately we're working toward the same goals or, or similar objectives. Whereas before, I, I feel like I was always fighting to be in, even though no one was telling me that I was out. Mm. You know, so it's it, it's a really weird thing. And there's other examples of that, how I how I interact with people in relationships. Uh, I talk uh, I talk and joke a lot about being an introvert and being very reserved. And so being conscious about what I say and how I say it, which, again, for, for better or worse, there are situations where that really helps me, like in interviews. 
uh, whether it's for a job or interviewing somebody on the podcast. I think I've become a very good listener. But some of that is also from having to be a chameleon, which I mentioned that experience growing up of trying to adapt to fit into various groups of people. But I also think as an introvert, that is what allows me to be successful at conferences where people say, walk away and say, wow, you're an introvert, really? Like you've been talking to people this whole time. And I'm like, yes, because I've trained myself to be able to flex in and flex out as necessary, you know? Yeah, like a lot of the, the phrase that I've heard uh, past guests use is situational introvert. Yes. Or situational extro extrovert, whichever makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it is. So this idea of getting up on stage and speaking at these conferences, I, I love doing it, but I feel a lot of angst every time I do it. And people never see it on my face. I don't even know if, if they can hear it. And they don't see the amount of freaking out that, that goes on before I take the stage. And it's funny because even Marcus called me on it once. He's like, dude, every year you get all worked up, you start <laughs> stressing out, and ultimately everything is fine. Yeah, Everything's going to be fine. But again, that, that's that that trust and, and that's that that relationship that we have. And that's one of those things that on one hand, it can be a negative. But then on the other hand, I think it's part of what what's helped me get to where I am today and what's helped paychecks and balances get to where it is today. Man, I appreciate you, you like um, just being honest with that story about like growing up. And, and I think I didn't understand this. I, there was a name for that. And I guess it's called code switching now. Yep. It's so crazy, this idea, like when you're with your boys or something, you're like you fall into like slang and just like literally you, you talk in a way that you wouldn't talk in public. It, it's funny because I, I joke that outside of work, I'm a savage when I talk to my friends. <laughs> I mean, I'm so I'm respectful, but it's completely different. So like the way you hear me talk and, and you'll even hear me switch like in the podcast sometimes, sometimes a little sometimes I'm a little bit more proper than other times I'll talk in a bit more slang. And, and I try to be cognizant that we always have new folks who are who are checking us out. Yeah. And I do feel that I am being myself because that is me. Like I switch up based on the situation. I don't think that yeah. that makes me fake. I think that that's naturally what you need to do. There mm -hmm. are things that I say outside of work that if I said those things at work, I wouldn't be at work anymore. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And I appreciate you sharing this um, of you seeing a therapist. I actually also recently started seeing a therapist because I've, I've gone through just some challenging stuff with uh, my, I'm um, getting divorced now and I definitely did not handle that <laughs> appropriately and it blew up in my face and um, I'm just trying to own that and realize like how I got to that point. And, and I think it's interesting having this platform and realizing that why am I doing the show? Like, I want to tell people stories and I, and I, and I want it to help people, but I, I don't want to lose the sight of, of being sucked into this popularity contest and this download contest. And, you know, if I thought I was, and I may have done it before, like, am I creating content that is going to be like going viral or, or get, getting big guests on here that are going to grow my show? And then I realized it's like, that wasn't the right path. And I think I'm now being more conscious about creating content that um, scratches my own itch, allows me to connect with my guests. And whatever happens, happens. Like, I don't care about the download numbers. I, 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 I you know, my team puts them together, so I, I see what they are. But I'm not chasing downloads anymore, at least for this show. Obviously, you know, when we, what we do for clients is different. But just for this show, I'm just like, you know, I just having this platform and having this ability to connect and, and, and deepen relationships is like all that I'm after and so, I, I'm, you know, I just appreciate you mentioning that and the fact that we're all, you know, we, we fall into this 
like imposter syndrome trap and and even within the podcasting space now like you found your community with the finance folks and with podcasting folks but even here you're just like you're keeping an eye on some of the bigger names and what they're doing and how they're growing and it's just it's it's like a constant check to like be reminded like it's almost like daily like waking up like why am i doing this why am i doing this why am i doing this like what's my purpose yeah. And I'll say real quick, one, the, the thing that led to me going to a therapist was also I was in a long term relationship and I was engaged and that ended. And I realized that there were patterns displaying themselves in each relationship that I'd been in that ultimately ended up in this and that I ultimately ended up in the same space and decided that nothing is going to change unless I actually start talking to someone and getting into why these things are, are happening the way that they are. But related to what you were just saying, my last session <laughs> was all about podcasting. I initially went in to talk about relationship stuff. Hmm. And I i had been going through like this frustration about, you know, where we are and you know, I've been doing this all of this time and other people come into the space and someone immediately puts them on. And so they're getting to the same level and half the time and this, that, and the third. And and one thing you're probably learning with therapists, they always have like those value bombs and nuggets, those quotables, those things you want to put on a quote card on Instagram. Yeah. And she reminded me of the importance of gratitude yeah. and and taking the time to look at at what I've built and, and what Marcus and I have built overall and to look at where I am today and to understand that for me, you people who are listening to this podcast, like we've done great work. We are in a great situation and we have a great opportunity to be able to impact audience audiences with whatever it is that we're talking about. Even with pop culture and comedy, where that, that used to be a major frustration for me, that, that it would be as popular as it is, while business shows will sometimes languish and it's hard to get featured. But then when I would see people say to some of these folks that, hey, your show helps me get through my day, the laughs that I have from listening to your show are the only laughs that I have in my life right now. Wow. That's, that's powerful, man. That's powerful. So regardless of what people are talking about on their podcast, know that whether it's one person, five person, five people, 10 people, 10,000 people, like you're like you're helping someone in some way or another. Yes. Not that I've started to speak a little bit. You know, people think about like how many people are in the audience. But I, I think the I, I've always said like a set a goal that I just want to impact one person in the audience. Literally, that's it. You know, I don't care if there's 10 people there or 100 or 1,000. If just one person says, hey, that thing resonated with me, or, I really appreciate that you said that, then that's it, mission, you know, mission accomplished. Like I, I did what I set out to do. Agreed, man. Agreed. I think that's a great way to think about it. And I hope uh, others are thinking about it the same way. Because I even know when we look in like the podcast movement group, you see people say, I've, I've released four episodes and I'm just not where I thought I would be. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you've only released four episodes. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I appreciate you you sharing those stories. Those are really valuable, and I think they they resonate with folks. and And I think it it paints a human picture for the audience about like the the struggles that we still, no matter whether our show is at ten or at a hundred or or five hundred episodes, whatever it's going to be. Like, I think internally we always struggle with these things, and and we're, there's always the comparison game that we had to be careful not to be sucked into. So, I definitely appreciate you you being so honest and upfront with what's going on in your life. Yeah, no doubt, man. It's been fun couple of uh, questions as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Ooh, something I've changed my mind about recently. Mm. The time frame that it's going to take for me to potentially leave corporate America. 
So mm. a big thing that I, I, I talk about in the show is that at some point I want to leave, which is also weird because people at work listen to the podcast and they hear me mm. talking about like leaving corporate America, which is kind of weird. <laughs> but it was something that I, I was initially saying, you know what, I'm going to do it this September. I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to do it this year. Uh, I also started recently talking to a financial advisor and I just realized that it's going to take me a lot longer than that to be able to replace uh, my my current income that I have through my day job, which has me thinking completely differently about how I spend my time. And I already thought I was being good about my time, but now it, it really is. It really is like a, when I'm sitting around doing nothing. And I do think there are periods where it's good to sit around and do nothing. But when I'm not pushing on identifying new sponsors, when I'm not developing a course, when I'm not putting something uh, helpful out there, uh, like, like one, I'm potentially depriving somebody of the help that they may need in their individual situation. But two, I'm not moving myself any closer to this ultimate financial goal that I have for myself. So I just recently had to accept, you know what, this year won't be the year. Maybe next year won't even be the year. And it was it was hard to do that, but it's it's necessary. And so it has me completely rethinking how I spend my time and, and what it is that uh, I, I work on when I'm outside of my day job. Yeah, that must be interesting uh, as well when you talk about the timing of when you're going to leave and if folks higher up on the management chain <laughs> listen to that as well. You're just like, well, as, as long as you're clear with that and, and they're not surprised, I guess that's, that's, that's what's more important. Yeah, and someone from work, a manager, heard me on Bigger Pockets Money. And fortunately, I don't think I said anything about this on there, but yeah. it was it, it was kind of shocking because it was it wasn't someone who I expected to to be listening to the show and they reached out to me and I'm just like, yo, I really need to be like one, I'm still going to be transparent, but I also need to be sure that when I'm at work that I'm focused on work. I'm not taking, you know, sneaking into conference rooms and taking yeah, sponsor yeah. calls and stuff like that because that's super dicey. And uh, also making sure that, that, that the things that I really enjoy, so I mentioned, you know, helping people and, and empowering people and I'm managing a team now so that, so that when I'm at work, I'm recharging myself by making sure that I'm investing a lot of my time into those things that actually fuel me because there are plenty of nights when I get home and I'm completely exhausted and I don't have the energy to do anything else. So uh, I, I try to minimize how much that happens as much as possible by focusing on those things that I do well, but also reassuring the folks at the nine to five that when I'm here, I'm 100% committed. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? Oh, that is a, that is a, that is a great question. That, hmm. You know, I, th it's interesting because this, my answer to this question changes depending on where I'm at and who I'm with, which I mm -hmm. guess figures based off of what we talked about, about how we change yeah. during situations. Definitely. But I think people, people often, when I, when I meet people and I'd say, so let's go with outside of the podcast community and outside of FinCon. When I meet people, they often think that I'm a lot more serious and straight edged and buttoned up than I actually am. Yeah. And it is, it is super super frustrating and i think it probably happens a little bit less now because part of as i get older i also i'm starting to care less about what people think and just kind of saying what's on my mind but i've had a lot of people come back weeks months later and say oh wow you're actually cooler than i thought you were going to be or oh wow you're actually more laid back than i thought and i'm like what like like what like what am i supposed to be doing am i supposed to just be telling jokes at, at all times of the day yeah. and that was even a frustration in the uh when i was when i was a blogger for years where there was something that was missing within my writing that that painted this this image of me that 
that I was kind of more like stuck up and this and elitist and this, that, and the third, which really wasn't the case, which is, which is actually part of why I moved to podcasting because there was something that wasn't getting conveyed in written word that I thought and knew could get conveyed in audio through tone and through people just kind of getting a sense of what my actual personality is, is, is like, but to this day, there are situations where, where I meet new people and, you know, and I, and I, and some feedback gets to me afterwards, or as I get to know people more, it comes out that they thought I was like this super straight edge, like not having fun. The only thing that I do is work type of person. And that's, that's not really who I am at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, I'm focusing less energy on trying to change that misconception and putting more energy into just being who I am and just accepting that I'm also not going to be for everybody. Well, brother, thanks so much for uh, sharing your story. This is, I feels like it's a long time coming. And like I said, these are great opportunities for me to connect and, and learn more a lot, a lot that I didn't know about you. And uh, there's the, the, what I love about long form conversations is this ability to just let the conversation go. And, you know, who knew asking you about Albany was going to trigger some, so much stuff for you and, and, and brought out some really good stuff. Yeah. I mean, it probably also helps that I like literally just went to my therapist, but, (laughs) (laughs) but still, man, it's been a super fun time. And, you know, a lot of the interviews that I do are focused on uh, personal finance and professional development, which of course is what the podcast is about. So uh, I appreciate having a a forum and an opportunity to tell some of these stories that uh, I haven't really gotten to tell anywhere else. So uh, good brother, you definitely got the exclusive. (laughs) what's so funny sometimes what happens is that when these get released like there's stuff that you didn't talk about so you'd like tell people or you tell your 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 fan base or people who normally follow you like hey i i just started talking about stuff you guys are probably don't even know so <laughs> go listen to this episode and if you want to lo- know a little bit more about me so i appreciate that um so what's what's the best place for folks to track you down online yeah uh on twitter and instagram i'm at i am rich jones my instagram is locked but i accept people it's partially locked because personal life and work yeah uh you can also find the podcast at paychecksandbalances.com you can find us on all the various podcatchers that are out there and the podcast on twitter and instagram is at paybalances p-a-y-b-a-l-a-n-c-e-s and on Facebook at Paychecks and Balances because I believe somebody already had the pay balances name and they're probably not using it appropriately. Uh, but yeah, those are all the places to find me. Happy to connect and hope some folks will go and check out the show. Yeah, well, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. No problem, man. It was a lot of fun. Thanks again to Rich for coming on the show. Yes, the jazz music still continues. <laughs> Podcastjunkies.com forward slash 191 is where you'll find the full show notes. We put a lot of love into those show notes. Timestamps, tweetable quotes, links mentioned, all the socials for Rich. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil at cedarsoil.com. You can check out all his fantastic music. Don't forget to check out and support our sponsor, Focus Right, for all of their awesome gear, specifically the Scarlett 2i2, which is a must for any new podcaster's toolkit. Tune in next week for my conversation with Lori Tharps of My American Melting Pot. If you've made it this far, then no doubt you're anxiously awaiting the retention hashtag. We're going to go with Rich Paychecks, hashtag Rich Paychecks, and you can tag uh, us at podcast underscore junkies. And tag Rich at two Twitter accounts this time. One is Pay Balances. That's for the show, at Pay Balances. And you can tag Rich specifically at I am Rich Jones. I am Rich Jones. That's his Twitter handle. Tag us all in the retention hashtag fun. 
Thanks for all you do to support the show. Uh, we're going to talk next week. So make sure you join us and join me.